Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I will bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. On this week's episode of the RAG podcast, I am super excited to be joined for the third time by Elliot Dell. Elliot is the CEO of SALT. SALT is a global leading digital recruitment agency with over 400 people across 20 offices globally. Now, Elliot joined me on the RAG in person in 2019, just before the pandemic. At that point, there were 220 people across nine offices. So in three and a half years, he has effectively doubled the business. Now, dealing with the global pandemic and doing that has been a very interesting journey. In this episode, we talked about the reality of the boom post-COVID, which obviously helped, the locations he's gone to, um, the, the the introduction of, a, of, a, of an academy for uh, hiring trainees now and really growing the organization through that. And we talked about the challenges of that and the current economy, the reality of a global office base, 20 offices in every continent and the different regions suffering with different issues due to the economic downturn. Elliot was, all as always, he's super honest, um, very passionate about the business, wants to take the business to a thousand people um, in the next few years. And uh, for anyone who's looking to grow a business of headcount with with significant size. I think you should be listening to this show. But also, he talks about protecting your time as a, as a founder, as a leader. How he talks about his routine and how he he still works in isolation a lot of the time. How he he finds time for his family, for the gym, for his own self care. Um, and it was uh, it was really refreshing to talk. You know, high growth doesn't necessarily mean burning yourself at both ends. You can find time for everything else too. So. I really hope you enjoy this episode without further ado. Elliot, welcome back to the RAG podcast. Thank you, Sean. It's my hat trick now. Yeah. You're one of only a few people who've been on the show three times. I think you and Lloyd Gordon would be the only, it might only be you two, actually. So you should be, you should be privileged, but it's great to have you on. Always a pleasure to spend some time together. Um, we've just been chatting before the show. Um, and we'll, I want to go back to the end of the first episode back in 2019. Before I do, for anyone who doesn't know you, hasn't listened to any of that stuff, give us the bird's eye view of you and the business today, numbers, headcount, locations, that kind of stuff, and then we'll we'll go back to the story. Yeah, so um, those that don't know me, Elliot Dell, CEO of Salt Recruitment Group. Um, as we stand today, um, we are 20 offices across the world, so we're on six continents now, having recently acquired a business in Brazil, which was the, the last continent that we wanted to set foot on. So offices now in uh, Toronto, 
Austin, New York, um, Rio, Sao Paulo, London, Manchester, Bristol, Reading, Amsterdam, um, Cape Town, Johannesburg, Dubai, <laughs> Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, Sydney, Melbourne, Auckland, and Wellington. Wow, that is truly global, truly global. And how many? How many people? Circa four hundred staff at the moment. Um, just under a hundred million turnover last year, and, and peaked at about eleven hundred freelancers working for Salt across the world last year as well. Amazing. We, when we look back at that, so at the end of twenty nineteen. We interviewed, I interviewed you in November 2019. We didn't know the pandemic was coming. It was when I used to meet people in real life, which is which is a long time ago. Um, you had 220 people across, I think, nine offices. So yeah. if you look at that three and a half year period, you've you've ultimately pretty much doubled the business. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then, you know, when we caught up during the pandemic, uh, I think what with furloughs uh, and a few exits here and there, I think we... I think we probably bottomed out at about maybe 180, 190 staff during that period. I think it was about 25, 30 headcount we dipped on, um, but uh, managed to sustain and retain all of the office footprints. Uh, and I think it was the, the multitude of office footprints that allowed us to really excel as the world started getting busier, busier again. It was multiple P&Ls, multiple leaders to grow through uh, and account develop uh, across our various global customers. So. Look, we're happy with with you know where we got through during the pandemic with where we're at now, but always ambitious to uh, to keep moving forward, to keep growing. And I nonstop. So, if we go back to that period, then, and and again, we're probably going over a bit of ground. We did it because we did a mini episode in that in the Rag Report, which was when I did a daily show in in the first lockdown, right? But it, remind us how you dealt with that period because it was crazy for us all. But when you got that many people in that many locations. What was a day like for you personally at that point? So at that point, myself and my chairman were speaking, you know, countless times per day, you know, early morning, late nights, um, checking in with uh, all of the various leadership teams across the locations as well each day. Um, in fact, some, some of that stuff has continued now. So I was doing a daily scrum with my leadership team at 10 o'clock every day. Mm -hmm. um, yes, to find out what's going on, but more for more for all of our mental health and all of our sanity uh, and all of our motivation levels just to, to be with each other, hand by hand, side by side, um, sharing what was going on, thoughts, experiences, even if, you know, what have you watched on Netflix, you know, yeah. last night to entertain you and keep going, uh, you know, the latest um, exercise fads and crazies that, that everyone was into at that time as well, you know, recipe recommendations. So that there was a lot of synergy, a lot of collaboration, and a lot of talking. I say a lot of that has continued afterwards. But you know, the, the key thing was communication. It was talk, talk, talk. Um, you know, not make decisions too quickly. Um, you know, not act impulsively. Um, you know, feel what decision is right, but talk it through. Look at the data and share thoughts and experiences. Listen, listen to all the various levels of your leadership team, and um, you know, hopefully from that, make the best decisions. And being so global. You must have had to, like you say, you you you'd have had to be online a lot of the early and late shifts. There would have been a lot of interesting time zones for you to to cater for. Um, yeah, it would have been. Look, we've got um, Sean and Jackie that run the APAT region for us. Um, you know, they run that business day to day, uh, and Paul and I would would check in with those guys. We we would share thoughts and experiences, what we were experiencing across the Americas and Amir, uh, what they were experiencing over in APAC. So. Just as you know, continuing to share what was going on 
um, and then you know in, into the to, to the smaller regions, you know, catching up with with the Middle East uh, as an isolated region, as an example, catching up with South Africa to see what was going on over there, catching up with James over in New York to find out what was going on over in the states. It was just to say constant communication, constant catch ups to see what was going on. Were the hours much different? No, I wouldn't say it was working ridiculous hours. I think it was just being regular. It's the consistency of the catch-ups. It's the consistency of doing everything every day to maintain those communication yeah. levels. Rather than intensity, yeah, I agree with that. Well, well, I've got like three things that are running through my mind that I wanted to f- discuss with you. Like There'll be loads more as well, but the f- I just want to tell you now, right? The three things that were, were on my, my agenda today was... How has salt changed through that period as a business in terms of the way you operate? Like, you know, people being forced back to the office a lot across our sector. I'm interested to know what was pre-pandemic salt compared to now. I also want to know how you launch an offer. Like, how do you decide on a location? Like, what's what's the the process that you because you've got such interesting locations in EMEA and in, in South America and stuff. I'd like to, I think a lot of people are trying to grow ex- internationally. We've recently done it in South Africa, similar similar way to you. So let's talk a bit about that. And then um, I also want to talk about the, the reality of the economy today. Like, how, What are you actually seeing in this, in you know what we're talking about, late April 2023, recession conversation, slowing down of business. So they're the three things I want to bring to the table and, and you can add anything else. So if we go back to the first one and we look at the, the difference in the business, in the way you operate. What was the business like going into the pandemic? Was it five days a week? How did how was it ran pre-pandemic as, a, as an organization? Yeah, so I guess we'd been on a journey probably from, I guess, 2016, 2017 to, you know, how, how can the workplace um, be more accommodating? How can it be more flexible? Um, you know, our, our inclusion journey dates back even before that. 2013, we hired our first diversity manager, and we really started looking at that inclusion in the workplace. 2016, we added on our own global mindfulness program. Um, we started attending lots of events as a leadership team around, you know, the flexible workplace, the four-day week, um, flexible working contracts. So I guess there was, there was a nice sort of multi-year build-up period to that. We, we started introducing at various levels of our career ladders, you know, a day working from, from home a week, two days working from home a week, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And just starting to be a bit more flexible as an organization. Um, when the pandemic struck, um, obviously we had to flip that that way of working overnight. So we were all forced into it, but you know, we were so impressed by the way our staff adapted. You know, we, we do have a very strong global operating model as a business in terms of you know what are the rules of the game, what what is our 442, what is the system and the formation that we play to, and we're very consistent in that. You know, in terms of our daily scrums, our, our weekly sales meetings, our quarterly launches, our annual launches, everything kind of pyramids in, in terms of how we run the business. Yeah. So we were very impressed as to how people adapted working from home. There was, a, there was a high level of trust and integrity in terms of what everyone was doing. So it almost just flipped the model overnight that suddenly we did have a, a, a remote, flexible way of working. So we didn't rush any decisions. You know, I saw quite a few videos from other businesses very early on in the pandemic, the companies saying, we will never return to the office. You know, yeah. we, we are getting rid of all of our offices everywhere. And yeah. it, it was very premature. And obviously, a lot of those decisions have since been rescinded. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's, there's a big rush from many businesses now to get back into the office. Our philosophy was um, 
from uh, our, I guess a mental health and social responsibility point of view to to be fully remote I, I, I think can be challenging. Uh, I know many businesses do do it successfully. And, and, I, and I know you, you, you've yeah. you said about yourself in terms of how you've grown out your business as well. I think with, with a recruitment model, when, when your purpose is to grow a location and have 40, 50, 60, 70 people in a location, which is what we do, which is our mission with all of our locations, I think there is a social responsibility 100%. there to have a home for people to go to. Because, you know, not all of us are privileged with quiet places where we can sit here and do a podcast or we can no. sit here and, and make some video calls. And especially the guys that live in a city, whether they're in London or Joburg or New York, wherever they may be, they're lucky to have more than a thousand square foot to, yeah. uh, you know, to, to, to kind of throw a laptop around and, you know, they, they may have pets or young children or noisy neighbors, noisy flatmates, whatever it may be. So we, we've set in stone a purpose for us to have these physical locations for, for people to go to. Um, so that was a really big thing that continued to, that we drew through from the pandemic and something that we have continued with today. Yeah. Um, it kickstarted our um, nationalization, if you like, of our UK business. You know, prior to the pandemic, we just had a London office. Yeah. Uh, a few people during the pandemic uh, moved around to various locations. We had a couple of lads move back to Bristol. We had a couple of people move back up to the Northwest. So we said, well, hey, why don't we start building hubs? around staff that we've already got in locations where we know there's good universities, there's thriving towns, uh, and we can build upon that as well. So, Yeah, yeah, I, I know it's John in Manchester, isn't it? That, that yeah. You, yeah, he reached out to me and he'd come over from Asia or whatever. Um, what what would like, like, what is the, without going into this, because it, it is a very common conversation over the last couple of years, but just to give anyone any insight like what is the way how do you make it work for you now then is it two and three model is it a four and one model what's the what's the methodology that offices abide by that tends is working for you mm -hmm. so uh coming at the 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 pandemic we we created three different ways so you have an office-based contract uh where there's a minimum of two days in the office in the uk um as an example uh in the us and the middle east uh, they do more threes uh, same in south africa uh there's a, a fully remote uh contract as well um yeah. so you know people can be uh, attached to a certain region in terms of where they want to do their recruitment but they can be you know fully remote uh and within that there's a, a sort of responsibility to at least pop in to the office to meet your manager uh once a month so you know we, we wanted people to have you know different ways uh, of doing things we didn't want to pigeonhole people we right, didn't in and say everyone has to come back into the office or everyone is fully, fully remote so let's say we're giving people the hybrid hybrid model wicked so yeah and it makes i mean i think it is about you mentioned all those people with the noisy flatmates and all that I and mean, it's so true especially in your early 20s you do you really want to be at home all day but there are people like like my life now I'm, you know i'm 37 soon i've got a baby on the way i've got two stepkids i've got two dogs i live in sheffield you know, it actually, I've tried having an office in town, and it's just not. There's no point. Like I'm, I'm building a garden office. I've got one in the house. This is the this is my baby's room, by the way. This is the nursery now. So I'm being I'm being rel uh, kicked out of the house. And right now, you might hear the odd bang. It's my the builders are turning my garage into my new office, and it just works for me at my age and my life. So there's going to be people in recruitment that are similar that have got that setup that they're they're self starters. They can get on with it. But like you say. If you pigeonhole them into an office, you might lose them. Equally, if you make everyone remote, you might lose them. So it, it sounds like you've got a good balance there. It's interesting. Um, what, when it comes to 
the locations then? Because you've you've expanded pretty rapidly. Like to go from nine to twenty or whatever in in, in that period of time. Like, how are you doing this? Like what what's the process around? How do you know when you need a new location, and how do you go about finding a place? And what talk talk us through a high level version of what you would do with, the, with a new location. Yeah, look, I, um, we we are very customer led in terms of how we adapt our products and services within Salt. Um, you know, when there was the re- revolution of the the embedded model, as an example, you know, we we adapted to customer demand and the types of recruitment solutions that they were looking at. I think when it comes to um, office locations, we're always looking at the movement of people. Um, we're always looking at emerging markets and we're always looking at um, where does some of our international offices um, hire staff from as well. So as an example, if you look at Dubai, 65, 70% of the placements are relocations. So, you know, in the Middle East, um, certainly now with the emergence of, of Saudi as a big hirer of that region of international staff, but, but Dubai, as we were talking about earlier offline, um, you know, 70% of the Dubai population are, are you know, expats. They are yeah. people that have, um, you know, relocated from other countries. So when you look at the fact that they're not just taking people from the UK or Germany, you know, they're taking a lot of people from, from South America as well and South Africans. So what we've done is we've looked at that people movement trend. So when we set up in the Middle East, we, we immediately started seeing the movement of people from South Africa um, up to the Middle East. So that caught our eye and we, we started looking at the region. We started looking at businesses coming out of there. Obviously, it's in English speaking as well. So like with the decision to, to set up in Australia and, and merge with the business in New Zealand, it just kind of made sense. Hmm. Uh, same with South Americans as well. You know, the, the amount of uh, South American uh, creative and digital talent that, that, that flocks into the US and, and flocks into the Middle East and even over to Asia as well is very high. So for us, again, looking at uh, the Latam region, made sense to us commercially. Um, also as well, when you look at the, the currency conversions, you know, it's an obvious choice to stick with US dollars, pounds and euros, because that's where you're going to make your highest net fees. Yeah, makes absolute sense. But when you start to think about the future of talent uh, and, and movement of people across the world, you've got to have your eye on the emerging markets. You've got to be looking at South America, South Africa, India, uh, some of the lower cost regions in, in Asia as well. Because we are a global economy, we can't move away from that. Uh, and there's going to be more and more uh, augmented staffing models, remote working staffing models. And for us, it's about building that future of talent and building a truly global database. So let's take Argentina or Brazil. How do you actually go about doing it though? Like, because you, you know, you you you're in the UK. Your business is global. But what's the what steps do you go through to open in a place like that? What did you have to do? Um, so the initiation, uh, I, I guess with Brazil, so, uh, a, a chap that was starting a recruitment business in South America actually reached out to me just after the, uh, Rio Olympics in 2016. And he asked if I'd be his mentor, uh, to help him set this business up. He was actually setting it up out of Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually gone on to, to now sell that business. So I'd like to, uh, you know, give myself a little pat for helping <laughs> him build and sell that business. Um, he knows who he is if, if he listens to this. Um, so that 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 gave me um, some working knowledge, if you like, of that region. It allowed me to get to know what was going on economically, politically, the types of customers down there. I think with some of the other regions, we've gone we've gone in a little bit blind. Like when we went to Australia, we expected to see you know UK US brands everywhere, but it wasn't. It was yeah. very nationalised brands there with very different 
customers down there. So we were able to feel that and see that very early on with Brazil as an example. Um, in fact, the business we ended up merging with down there, there was only one international client on there that I would say, you know, is prevalent in, in the other countries that we are. Everything else was kind of household Brazilian names. So, you know, there, there's a warming up period, no different to when you're recruiting a job. You know, whenever any, anyone speaks to me about mergers and acquisitions or, or office setups, I say it's no different to how you build out a universe that you recruit within. You know, you get to know people within that market. You get to know how that market plays, uh, the, the customers that hire within that region, the main talent in that region, and you take it from there. So the due diligence side of it, um, you know, yes, you have to look you know, slightly more into things like, you know, economic trends and, and, and costs of living and costs of office setup, etc. But the getting to know period is just like a recruiter gets to know their market. So it's just a, it's like a dating period. You know, you yeah. go into one of these locations because you've spotted a trend there, whether it's movement of people or movement of customers, speaking to a number of people, 10, 20, you know, 25 different business owners and, and leaders out there. And from that, you can ascertain as to whether you think it will be a good move for you. And you always look like is the prefer preferred model to get a local to run to be the first hire, or do you like to send British people over to the to keep the culture? Like because I've seen yeah. companies do different things. Yeah, different companies do different things. Uh, you know, you look at what um, S3 did over the years, who you know had some amazing successes in in new regions, relocating top billers from their UK offices. Yeah. Um, but then you have seen a trend of a more localization now of those businesses where obviously they've nurtured locals and, and then brought them through. My ideal is actually uh, a merger or acquisition uh, right. into a region where you've got, you know, a decade of trading history. Um, you know, you, you've got tens, twenties, maybe even hundreds uh, of contract runners. So you've got some sustainable revenue. You've got, you know, local knowledge and you can really, you know, come to that business bring all your global experience, bring global customer lists, a global database, a global way of thinking and doing things, but then really work with a business owner that knows that region that is, is fully invested into that business and can grow up for there. So that's actually my ideal model. I think from that sort of values and culture point of view, I think if you're merging in with the right people, then you're going to meet on a values level anyway. Like I couldn't work with someone that didn't align with me in terms of values if I thought someone was doing recruitment in a you know a not ethical way that wouldn't work for me even if they were making loads of money if they treated people a certain way or spoke to people a certain way it wouldn't work so i think that the values piece and cultural piece is always going to blend in i don't think you have to mold all of your cultures together when i look at our leaders around the world they're all very different and they've all built their own cultures locally you know if you walk into to one sort of office and another sort of office, you don't think, oh, wow, this, you know, this is the same office. Every leader has put their own spice on it. I wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to update you on what it is I actually do all day, apart from the RAG podcast, of course. Now, most of you know from the episodes that I am the founder of Hoxo, right? What you probably don't know is that we're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies and over 4,000 of their recruiters around the world in every continent and helping these businesses brand themselves and the people in the company better. Now, we have built a creative team over the last six years that helps manage the creation of new agency brands. Obviously, the, a lot of the listeners in the RAG are starting their businesses uh, for the first time. But more often than not, we rebrand tired companies. 
So many businesses we work with are smashing it when it comes to revenue and performance, but their website and their online story was built back when they started for like 500 quid and it just does not represent who they are today. So we believe getting that right becomes your, building a brand becomes your anchor. Now, every good brand also needs traffic, right? You need people to see it, to come to the website, see you online, and that's where your people come in. So we work to either manage the personal brands of your team, or we can teach you how to build the brand yourselves. All of it is designed to give you consistency on LinkedIn that helps you stand out from the competition, show your personality, show and add value, and ultimately make more money. Now, I personally speak to potential new customers along with my business partner, Amma. So I would love to spend some time with you, my rag listeners that I potentially don't even know yet. Any of you that are interested in building a brand that's fit for purpose in 2023 and beyond, come and speak to us. Just click the link in the show notes, fill in the form, and we will be in touch with you within 48 hours to book a 30 minutes video call ASAP. Right, back to the show. When it comes to things like the office, do you try and make them look similar? Like, do you, because I know some companies go with like, we work everywhere. So they make, you know, that you can literally drop into one office and it feels like you're in the same. Do, do you, do you make them like that or do you keep them unique? What's your, what's your strategy? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, we do. So we, we've got a, a brilliant design team and, um, you know, uh, our, our designs are always exciting, you know, whether it's on our website, the brochures, whether it's, you know, the stickers for our offices. So yeah, we, we do try and create a real consistency. Uh, in terms of you know the colours, the, the imagery, and, and the sort of style that we go for, um, yeah, I think that's that that's a real key thing. That's 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 the classic McDonald's thing, isn't it? You know, wherever you go in the world, you recognise McDonald's straight away. So from a look and feel, yeah, we absolutely do that with the offices. Yeah, I mean, that must I don't know. It just sounds it'd be really exciting to be in a position to go to a new location like that and build an office and you know take your vision of what you've already built and and see it grow in those places like the way i've done we've done south africa is is very different right we we started in the pandemic we, we had a mentor who'd built a marketing agency out there and we, we you know we started we, we we had a few contractors out there and then it went well time zones brilliant cost effective really good workers and then we obviously we then went and set up a business and bank account and stuff like that and, and now it's all official we've got we work licenses in those regions, like so people can go in and co-work in Cape Town, Joburg, Pretoria, London. Um, but it we never we never actually put that office stamp on it, which is mm-hmm. you know it is different. I think I'd enjoy that. Um, when it comes to talent, then in all these regions, is that similar? Are you looking for a similar? Like, how would you describe the, the the recruitment process and the type of people that each region are looking for? Is it all trainees? Is it a mix of experience? Like, what what's your attitude there? So historically, if we look at the way we built um, uh, certainly the UK business um, and then arguably the majority of the other offices as well, is that we, we've gone for real experts within the universities that we work within. So within digital, you know, we have people heading up, you know, creative marketing, technology, sales, etc. Um, so we've always gone and, and looked at, right, who is the best in that location? You know, who out of our competitors who out of similar companies is, is a real weapon in that area, has a good network and that can come and build something for salt. So we typically, during our, our growth periods, went for that, that type of, of, of recruiter. And then even the level down as well, that sort of principal consultant, you know, team leader type level. Again, we've always tried to go after 
someone in the market that, that can bring something to sort and, and, and bring some knowledge base to us. I think where we're at now, and you know, again, if you look at whether it's an S3, um, a Faden, uh, a Robert Half, you look at these companies that are, are, are proven entities in the recruitment world in terms of growth and scale, they do it through the training model. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where we're evolving now. You know, we're sort of circa 400 staff now. So obviously our jump now is how do we get to a thousand? I think to do that, we're not going to get, we're not going to do that by going out there and hiring, you know, a load of directors and a, and, and a, and a load of principal consultants. We need to get the future piece right. Uh, and that very much fits in with our vision of creating futures and what we've invested in over the last few years. So during the pandemic, um, we hired someone to head up our global learning uh, and development programs um, and within that integrate uh, academy setups. So we did an academy in, in London last year. Uh, we're doing one in Reading. Um, we've done a couple now in Cape Town uh, and we want to get that model proven. You know, we're a year or so into these into these models. Um, so, you know, we're not expecting instant success overnight. This is something we've got we've got to stick with and we've got to persist with. But if you look at the sort of locations around the world, we are in major cities, you know, whether it's a New York, a Sydney, a Toronto, a London, a Manchester. So we are in places where there's, there's great universities, there's lots of young talent coming through. So we want to do more and more to bring young talent through. Uh, we launched something on our website as well this year. It's called Educating Futures. Uh, that's something that myself and our marketing director are working on. Uh, we, we are both trustees on, on a local academy of schools. So we're looking further at actually how can we integrate communities from a younger age? How can we get people becoming more aware of the jobs within the digital world, uh, about globalization, about understanding their parents' careers more yeah. as well? So they're not being this school and work divide and this parent and child divide. How can children sit uh, with their parents on the SALT website and, and have some gamification and learn about their future and, and the jobs that are out there as well. So we definitely see the future growth of our organization, that next doubling in size, being through nurturing talent. And that makes sense. Perfect sense. What, Honestly, though, what's been the biggest challenge? You've been running it, like you say, for a year or so. I'm sure you've had mixed success. What's the hardest thing? Because it, it makes logical sense. You grow to a certain point and then you just have to develop your own. Like You have to. It's not a choice to get to that sort of scale. But what, you know, what's the honest reality of, of doing that in the early days? What's been the biggest, biggest challenge? Um, so I, I'd say a couple of things. I'd say, um, you know, I, I, I'd say culturally, um, one of the things that we've really worked on as an organization that's been a, you know, a, a get-go objective um, from a, um, a board meeting and, and from a global launch point of view every year is, you know, we look very acutely at, at our attrition levels. So, you know, we don't want to be a company that is, you know, hire quickly, get rid of quickly, you know, put people through 12-week academies, but, you know, be chopping them after two or three weeks. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. That is the reality, though, of, of of these types of schemes. If someone is on a twelve-week program, and you know, four weeks into that, they're not showing uh, the sort of skills and traits and behaviours that you're looking for. Unfortunately, you know, you, you're going to have to make exits. So, the challenge is, we you know, we'd worked so hard to get our, our, our attrition to a certain point because with high growth, you do get higher attrition. Yeah. Um, but we were really proud of where our attrition was last year introducing the academies we saw that obviously it was going to have an effect on that so so that's one challenge um you know and maintaining that reputation 
on the market, you know, whether it's the glass door reviews and how much notice you take of these things. At the end of the day, you want good feedback yeah, on your cool. company and everyone has an individual experience and you don't want people to have negative experiences around your brand, whether that's from a customer or an employee point of view. Um, the other challenge uh, is something you said you wanted to come on to a bit later, I guess, are the economic headwinds. So, mm. you know, ideally when you do these things, you know, you, you, you have to keep them going. You, you can't stop, start them, stop, start them, right? So, so once you kick off one, you do a 12-week program, really you want to be lining up the next 12-week program yeah. as well. And then once you've got that right, you then want to take it to other locations. So like I say, we started in London, Reading. We'd ideally like to be having them going on in Manchester, in Rio, in Cape Town, in Joburg, and all these other locations as well. So at the moment, there is a, a global caution when it comes to hiring, both from recruiters and, and the customers that we're working with as well. So I guess we haven't had those... Um, we haven't had the conditions where we can really set sail with what we want to do around the academies. So let's move into that then. That's all again. It all makes sense, mate. What what is the reality of the conditions that you're seeing from a bird's eye view across all of your locations? Yeah, I mean, look, the reality is is um, you know, 2021. You know, I don't think any of us expected to have the year we had in 2021 yeah. after the lights going out somewhat in in, in 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, 2021 was, was ridiculous. And I think in 2021, what we did is lots of recruitment companies had very good years, but quite lean because everyone had leaned up during the pandemic. Um, there was still the furlough schemes till, well, I think, October that year. I think they, yeah, they yeah. ran off in, in some way, shape or form, whether people were using them or not. Um, so I think, you know, all of our egos were probably inflated somewhat in, in 2021 with what we produced. Yeah. In 2022, you know, many of us would have built budgets based upon 2021's growth rate yeah. uh, and 2021's profit rate. Um, so lots of hires were put into 2022 budgets, but lots of growth was also put in there as well. Um, and there was the war for talent first half of 2022, which is why it was good for recruiters, because companies were all trying to hire and over hiring, which has been shown with the redundancies from the big companies, which we can come on to. Mm. Um, but, you know, we all hired lots early on in 2022. I mean, I think we hired, I'm going to say between 80 and 100 people in, in the first half of, of last year alone across the various locations. So with all of that hiring, with all of that extra expenditure, you're then hoping that in H2, all of that hiring comes to fruition. But then what happened in H2 2022 is everyone had a lot more staff, a lot more costs, but then there was a slow. It did start slowing in various locations. Like with the pandemic, we saw, we saw the quickest slow in the US. Uh, it really was quite dramatic. US was, it, was ahead of budget halfway through the year last year. Um, and then the second half of the year was was not their best second half they've had. Um, uh, the UK probably didn't start slowing down again till later in the year, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And and you know various other speeds in other locations as well. I, th I think you know we can't put all the locations into one global economy box. You know. Has there been anywhere that have you has it been anywhere that hasn't been affected yet that can remain consistent? I'd say that. The, the, the Middle East almost live in their own in their own bubble somewhat in some respect, especially because of the rise of Saudi mm -hmm. and the amount of money. I mean, if you follow any of the um, Saudi posts, Saudi press, you know, you'll see all the economic trends and, 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 and expenditure uh, that they're putting out there. So every, every location is unique and it has its own different nuances. You know, obviously in Australia and New Zealand, they have their big holiday at Christmas. 
So they yeah. don't really get going in, until February, maybe even into March. You know, even in Brazil, you know, they have their main holiday around Christmas, you know, that, that, um, and then they have Carnival mid-February. So there's a slowdown there. So again, they don't really get going until late February, March. So everywhere has, has their own nuances. Um, but, you know, going back to, I guess, the economic trends uh, last year, yeah, we, we definitely started seeing the slow off in Q4 last year. So October, November, December, you start to see that slow. There was a lot of questioning in terms of, well, is this, is this just normal seasonal trends again? You know, as humans, we, we forget uh, and we adapt very quickly. You know, is this just what 2019 was like? So you start looking back at the data, back at the trends, trying to ignore the COVID years and then ignore the years after. But then how many years do you start ignoring and 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 when do you start setting new trends yeah um came back in january and january was okay and then you sort of expected to start building upon that you know maybe do 10 percent more in february maybe 10 15 percent more in march um but we didn't see that happening whilst we saw a bottoming out of activity levels recruitment kpis probably in february slight sort of start rise in march but then a sort of stagnation again in april so when you look at the raw stats, I would say we aren't seeing the major change yet in terms of when you look at the raw stats. If I go to more of the emotive stuff and the feeling-based stuff and the knowledge-based stuff, we're having loads of amazing conversations with customers now. Stuff that was coming through is now coming through, and that's in all of the locations as well. So, you know, in the here and now, definitely seeing a bump up, you know, and then whether you read reports or not you know bank of england are saying you know now we're probably not going to go into a recession but you know it changes every six weeks doesn't it yeah. depending on what journalists want to write about out there 100 percent. what um what met what metrics as a high, at a high level are you looking at? i imagine you have to have some kind of cockpit at your level to have all the offices you can't know the detail about everyone at all times but there must be some numbers that you i don't need the detail of the of the the number as in what you're making or anything but what are the metrics you look at at the ceo level across multiple offices that, that enable you to know what levers to pull and push and what you need to do so look we you know we, we look at many data sets depending on who we're talking to um so myself our cfo my chairman we've just had our board meeting with sean and jackie over in, in apat this morning um and of course for that you know we're looking at the you know the very high level numbers that you would expect in a board report in terms of, you know, um, invoiced NFI, uh, written business within the month. Um, we're looking at, at attrition levels. Um, we look at our NPS scores continually as well. You know, are we pleasing our, uh, for those that don't know, net promoter score, it's uh, effectively um, rating customer experience. Um, uh, we are looking at our, our jobs field ratios. Um, so, you know, that, that I get that's the sort of top helicopter view, high level stats that we would look at. Uh, you know, I do daily scrums with various levels of the organization. Um, so three times a week, I catch up with all my UK and European directors. Um, I catch up with James in the US, you know, if not every day, every other day. You know, uh, Rick in Dubai and I will, will have a, you know, a, a twice weekly chat. And again, we'll dive into any stats that we feel we, we need to analyze at that particular point. Um, you know, we have our recruitment dashboard. So whether we need to look at, you know, vacancies that week, you know, um, CVs going out the door, interviews being booked, we know where we should be. You know, we know if we're booking 100 interviews, as an example, that should roughly equate to 100 grand's worth of revenue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
on, on different days, depending on who I'm talking to, I'll look at different stats. But I, I'm very stat driven, um, yeah. you know, through through. And I said this to someone the other day through all the, the mindfulness, the self-care, you know, the yoga and all the different things that you can bring into an organization. You can't ever get lost in an organization from the data. And the data doesn't lie. The data is the truth of what comes out of the business at the end of the month. And I've, I've yeah. never lost sight of the detail that you need on your numbers in a recruitment business. You mentioned before about the emotional, like the data says one thing, and then you've got the emotional conversations that tells you that there's good quality conversations happening, roles are coming. How long do you allow the emotional conversation to have an impact on decisions until the data? What I'm, what I'm trying to say is how long would, would, a, would a business unit or business line be underperforming when they're telling you things are coming? before you then have to act? Is there like, a, do you have anything in that you work towards there? Yes, it's a beautiful question, Sean, because I think that's exactly where we are at as a business right now, where, where we are looking at things. We've got, um, and again, every, you, you can't blanket all the locations. Every location yeah. works differently. So with the US as an example, because the salaries are so high and the fees are so high, you can literally go from zero to hero overnight. Hmm. So I think with the US, you know, you can look at a few tricky months, and, but you can go, it only takes two or three good months and suddenly you're well back in the game. If you look at um, uh, other uh, business units, so if you look at um, creative uh, freelance in the UK, as an example, um, you know that's a very high volume based business, but very low fees. Yeah. So again, you can go from, you know, a business unit can have 100 runners in two months time, it could have 150 runners, but you know, it's very volatile as well. So I think you have to assess what market they work within, you know, the size of fees within it, you know, the, the tenure of the recruiters that they've got within it. Obviously, if you're dealing with something new and volatile, you know, you've got 10 people that have all been hired within a six month period in a new location into a new into a new market and it's not performing. Then there's a lot of there's a high risk involved there. Whereas with other business units, you can almost swallow it for a period because whilst you might have a, a, a quiet quarter, you know, historically over a five-year period, that PL has got good consistency in terms of, of what it can do. So a, a number of things that you will have to look at, but it is something you have to decloud your your head from every day. You know, you do have to, you know, remove yourself from, from the emotive sections of it. And I do get to a point with various levels of my leadership team, and I'll say to them on a call, listen, guys, let's forget the qualitative side of, of what we're doing. Let's just look at the data and tell me what is going on. That, because that's all we can work with now. You know, the qualitative build-up conversations, it's the coming conversations, it's the coming. If you keep clouding yourself with those, you won't face the reality of what's going on. You won't have acute decision-making around what, what you need to do. So, yeah, like I say, different times for different locations, but it's something that we constantly yeah. have to be aware of. And how does it affect you now? Like, because you're, you know, you, you're in the UK, you're traveling around the world, but, you, you know, you've invested in all these decisions to build it. How much does it weigh on you and affect you personally when there is a challenging month or a difficult unit or country location? Um, I said this to my chairman the other day, you know, I think you, you had this, you had this initial, you know, period where maybe you're waking up at night a couple more times than you normally would. And, uh, you know, it takes a little bit longer to get back to sleep. I think, you know, personally, I have a, a sort of maybe a week of that, maybe even just a few days. But then you have to find another way. 
you know, you, you can't just sit around, you know, looking at the clock and hoping something will change. So it's about reinvigorating yourself in certain other aspects of the business. So as an example, you know, we don't go from nine offices to 20 offices over a you know, three-year period without constantly being on the look for new locations. So a lot of my time can typically be spent networking with people in new regions, new locations, seeing what's out there, seeing where else we can go. When we need to steady things and tighten things up, then I can reinvest all of that time on nurturing people that we have, which I do anyway, but I can spend more time doing that and I can spend more time on customers as well. So then that gives me more of a first-hand, um, I guess, control um, experience of, of what's going on and be able to influence decisions and influence customers and you know help further grow customers and further nurture staff for us to then be more successful. So it's not something I would tend to worry about, as I say, past those initial couple of days, maybe drink a little bit less coffee, so you're less anxious and uh, you know breathe a little bit deeper. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a worrier by trade, Sean. It's not something that I would let get to me. I, I wouldn't approach something or attempt something if I didn't feel I could fulfill that. Yeah, I think it, it is one side of being a, a leader of such a big business though that we, we, people rarely look at. You know, It's always about the glamour, the growth, the office locations, the revenue, the turnover, whatever. But there is a reality there that having all of that comes with a different job it's a different level of pressure it's a different you know at any given point you could get a call from a location with an issue and it you know it's so i suppose you you your whole job now is supporting others and it's making sure that you can be there and, and help people work through their problems and you when you've got 20 offices you've got at least 20 people to to do that for so it must take a lot of energy on a daily basis and a weekly basis to be constantly present in the moment and trying to do the trying to make the right or help others make the right decision yeah, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with amazing leaders that we have that are so passionate about the business that we're building. Uh, and, and because of our ownership structure globally, you know, we, we have multiple people that are significant shareholders yeah. uh, in the business. So, you know, there's as much stake in it for them as there is for any of us. So, you know, there's people that are genuinely vested and I'm, I'm privileged to work with those people on a daily basis and going back to earlier about you know aligning with someone someone's values whether you're hiring them or whether you're merging with their business if you've got that values point right then you can have open honest discussions with each other you know the, the minute i feel something you know the minute i feel something is, is is not going right in a relationship or i feel perhaps someone is, is is going off course a little bit i'll have that conversation straight away i'll be very dull i won't let it fester mm. so we work in such an open way um, that, you know, we genuinely have got such a good team of people that are pulled together that I never over worry about someone else. I believe the leaders we've got in place in the locations, yes, I can be there to support them, but they are capable of, of bringing that region through as well. So, I mean, without that, you, you, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing, right? When it comes to the plans you've got, you mentioned the thousand people, etc. And the growth of, of talent. And you also talked about how this year, you know, has not worked out necessarily or the last six months has been a bit challenging. So how does that affect your forecasting of, of where salt will be in a year? Like, have you had to reevaluate? Like, what does the next 12 to 18 months look like in light of current economic situation? I mean, we, 
So I think we were about four weeks into the pandemic and I got all of the regional leaders to write um, three year business plans. So, you know, despite what was going on, it was all unknown to us, especially only one month in. Um, and we wrote those plans on the basis of um, it, it didn't matter that COVID had come along because we, we were going to we were going to stay on that path that we were on anyway. So whilst the journey might have been a bit different because we might have dipped a bit here, but then we actually bounced back stronger over here. My philosophy is the same here. Whilst this year so far might not be going where we need it to do, I believe that if we, we keep the footprints that we have, uh, we keep the right people that we have in those locations to move the business forward, I feel, feel we will be well positioned um when the world is less nervous and and sitting on their hands and worried about what might happen or what might not happen i feel we will be there to you know really move forward within the market so i don't see any major adjustments at this point not after you know one quarter that hasn't gone the way we wanted it to um even if i look at last year you know our, our best our best year ever last year and i would say it was it was a tale of two halves i'd say an amazing first half and all right second half when you put all the different um, office locations into it. Some 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 were good, some were not so good, some were poor, but you put it all together, but we still move forward as an organisation. So I still feel we can move forward this year. Um, and I think coming into next year, I think we'll be in a clear year and hopefully all of the doom and gloom behind us. Let's hope so. So what... Are we looking at, have you got a specific target around growth this year? Have you, do, you, do you have like, this is where we want to be at the end of the year? So we, we, we have very acute budgets that we work to. Uh, I don't think anyone sitting here right now saying that, you know, they're going to smash their budgets this year in recruitment. Look, fair play to them if they are. I mean, there's some energies, I think, more on the sort of green tech and renewable energy side of things that I think probably would be ahead mm. of their numbers right now. Um, where we're at right now, will we get there? No, I mean, we've just, we've had our board meeting today. Um, you know, headcount isn't um, at the point where we'd set it out to be. But that's been a, a proactive choice in terms of we haven't wanted to commit to all those extra hires until we know where we are globally from a customer base point of view and, and, and where the world is point of view. But I still believe there's enough opportunity out there to keep growing regardless of the nervousness in the market. So we're navigating those new areas of the markets whilst we may have been you know, focused on those two sectors over here. We're now looking more at these two or three sectors over here because we see that they are still booming. So we're definitely going through a, a pivoting process right now in, in some of the locations uh, across different industries. But I'm still optimistic about what this year can uh, can bring to us. I'm interrupting today's episode to tell you about our sponsor, Recruit Hub. What I want to talk about today is someone very, very close to me and Hoxo. You might know Aaron Hawthorne. Aaron worked for us for over two years and he finished in January 2023 to launch his own recruitment company, IXL. Interestingly, when Aaron told me late last year he was launching, I was super proud of him. But I was even more excited for him when he told me he was doing it with Recruit Hub. So Aaron had always wanted to run a recruitment company, joined Hoxo in the pandemic, was amazing as a sales guy for us, building brand, totally adopted our methodologies. But there was clearly an itch he had to scratch to go out there and see if he could build his own business. The reason he chose Recruit Hub is because they had so much experience, guidance, support that could guide Aaron through the process, but also take the pressure off his shoulders. He focuses on recruitment, 
fully supported by their finance, their operations teams. They've also got discounts and a full tech stack that he plugged into from day one. I know from Aaron, because he's my mate and I, you know, I work with him for so long, that he's actually performing really well. So he started at the beginning of 2023, he's billed over 30,000 pounds. And he's just texted me this weekend actually saying he secured another deal a lot of it came from the Hoxo Academy processes, which is exciting. But the the truth is, he's loving it. He's billing. He's making money. He's profitable, and he's feeling supported. Which is honestly, I think, if you're on your own and you want to launch a recruitment company, you could do it on your own. Of course, you could. But it's a pretty lonely place. Doing it with recruit of the 70 other businesses in the UK, US, and UAE that you're part of a community of. There's any question you need to have answered will be answered through that community. So. If you're thinking about launching your own business, why not go and check out Aaron's story? You can do that by going to recruithub.com forward slash case studies forward slash launch stories IXL. You can see the link attached to this episode. Right, let's get back to the rec. And what what I'm really interested in with you is like, what what why are you why are you trying to do this? So like in three and a half years, you've come out of a pandemic and you've you've doubled the business, right? So you now a completely different company like but you you still got this ambition to get to it like a thousand right where where does this drive come from like why are you so because you don't need to do it right you're at a point in your life where you could probably chill out a little bit you could probably sit on it you could do different things like where does your fire to still go every day come from do you think when you see the value that you continue to create going into new locations um you know setting up new offices uh, nurturing people now, we have so many people across the world now that have been with SALT for decades plus. Uh, and you look at the impact we've had on those people's lives as well, um, you know, in terms of building families, homes, careers, um, fulfilling dreams and goals. When you, live in, when you live in a place where all of that is going on, it's continually fulfilling. Mm. I don't ever feel that I'm in BAU. Um, you know, there's... Um, there's always something exciting that you can be doing. You know, I, I feel blessed to work in recruitment. I think we have one of the best jobs on the planet. Um, the fact that, you know, we work with people to help fulfill their dreams and goals. And I think if you bring that purpose into your brand, you know, I mentioned the Educating Futures piece earlier on, you know, if you're continually looking at your brand and your organization and how you can fulfill the purpose and passions that you can bring as an individual and that you can see transpires through your people, if you're continually investing in that, then you're investing something in something that's really wholesome um, and deep, and and that can never that can never get too boring. You know, you might get to a stage in your life where you run out of energy to do that. Maybe I underestimate the energy uh, that it takes to do all of these things. You know, for me, it just feels natural. Um, but you know, ask me in five years' time, uh, and and I might feel differently. Um, but right now, it all just feels purposeful. It feels natural. Um, uh, it, it, um, it uh, uh, complements other things that I do in my life. You know, I mentioned earlier, I sit on the local academy of, of six schools. Um, so, so I get to hear about the development of local kids and some of the challenges that schools have. Um, you know, I, I can try and help and, and give ideas and bounce ideas within that. You know, we've brought ideas from that into, into our Educating Future section uh, of our website. You know, I coach uh, my son's football team, so I get to work with a, a load of young boys every week and see them grow and develop. And the things that you learn in the business world and the things that you learn from being a leader, you know, you say these things to these kids and they take it all in. Like, you know, I'll tell the kids to get an early night and eat some pasta and vegetables before bed and drink lots of water. And their parents will come up to me in the next match and they'll say, 
you know, our little lad, he, he had an early night and he ate his pasta and he ate his carrots and he did all those things that, that, that you said <laughs> you wanted to do. And it's the wisdom that you can bring as a leader. It doesn't matter where, where you've learned your leadership skills, you know, whether it's as a parent, as a friend, as a partner, uh, as, a, as a child, all these things that you can bring to the party to be relaying those off, knowing that they are the right things to do in life. It, for me, that, that just can't get old to impart wisdom on, on all these different people and all these different places. And, and that's what really transpires through me when I think about setting up an office and I meet someone that has the same values that I do. And I think all these beautiful things that we've done at Salt around diversity and inclusion and mindfulness and culture and social communities and bringing people together to do that and see the Salt print on that, you know, that, that brings a lot to me. Love it. Well, in terms of your life and getting to the offices, how do you? How often are you at home and out and about? Like, what's your strategy and structure around that? Yeah, so I guess I got into a nice routine uh, during COVID, as a lot of us did, with being outdoors a lot more. And I was training out in the garden every day and going for lovely bike rides. And I thought, you know, I'll continue this this forever. All this lovely outdoors. Mm. I think last year and yeah, I, I, I say twenty twenty one. I definitely carried on all the outdoorness. Last year, um, I was into my routine. I, I love dropping my kids to school every day. You know, I wouldn't let anything t- take that away from me. Um, I'm then on my first call each day by, by nine o'clock. Um, I go to my local uh, 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 gym, club, hotel that I'm a member of around here. So I go and work there in the mornings. That's my quiet place. But I like being around and seeing other people. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to just sit here in one of my rooms at home whether it's in my office or the garden or something, because I like to people watch. I like to have things going on around me, but I don't mm. want someone knocking on my door every five minutes asking if they can, <laughs> can have some of my time. And when I used to go into the London office, that would happen all the time. Even people sort of, you know, waving through. And it's lovely to connect and have those people around. But I, I, I do work well in, in isolation. I say in isolation, but I'm always speaking to people. Yeah, you're so on Zoom all day. I'm right? not disturbed, but I've got my routine set out. I've got my, my calls back to back. Uh, so all the various so are you are you at home most of the time then, and you, or in 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 your local vicinity, and then in my local vicinity, yeah, yeah in, my, in my local vicinity, yeah, and then um, I, I typically come into London for various meetings. You know, we pop in for our various board meetings, director catch ups, etc. Uh, I'm due to go back back out to Dubai in a in a few weeks' time. Um, managed to get to the Netherlands last year. Was in New York last year. Was in Dubai. Um, I'm desperate to get back out and see the guys in South Africa. Uh, you know, we've gone from, you know, 15 people to 70 plus people in South Africa since the last time I was there. So yeah, I'd love to, to bounce around the offices, never been to the Toronto office, never been to the Austin office. Uh, I was in Rio earlier this year, um, completing the acquisition there. So got to meet all all of our lovely Brazilian staff. We've got about 15, 16 guys, uh, across Brazil there now. So, um, yeah, look, it's fantastic getting out. Uh, to the offices um but i connect so much with people via video you know for me a day on video is just it's just kind of normal i feel like you know sometimes when i see someone face to face yeah i I go when did i see them in the flesh yeah and i can never remember but it's like i see them all the time like i've got people that i've been chatting to on video for the last you know three years and i've never met them in person but i feel i know them so well you know um you know you do. I, if, you if, do. If I, I wouldn't know if I if I'd actually shaken their hand or not. 
Well, I mean, we've still not been together as a company in one place ever. We never like so there's never been a scenario where everyone's been together. So we're we're flying the UK business out to South Africa in June, which is not the best weather for that. But the South African business is bigger than our UK now. So we've got about I think twelve in the UK, a couple in Portugal, and then about twenty early twenties in South Africa. So it we're all going to Cape Town at the end of June, which is going to be it's going to be amazing to be together. But like you, I've because I am in isolation as well, but I'm on calls. I might be on an Australian call in the morning, an American call later, and, and everything else in between. I very rarely have a day of isolation. Like I'm always speaking to someone. I'm always seeing someone face to face. So I need that little bit of time in between meetings to go and you know decompress, go outside, make a drink, walk the dogs, without someone asking me questions. I actually don't know if I could operate the way I do in an office. I don't think I could five days. It just wouldn't work for me anymore. Yeah, look, even when I used to go into London, I had a two or three hotel spots uh, near the office that I would go to mm. simply because of that. So when I look back, probably the last you know two or three years of my time going into the office three or four days a week, I was probably only in the office 30% of the time anyway yeah. because I was in a hotel down the road somewhere in my own space. How important do you think it is for leaders, especially CEOs, to to think, to give themselves, to, to kind of diarise time to think? think? Thinking time is important. I mean, I, I started diarising, um, I used to call it my creative zone. I used to put a 90-minute slot in my diary. I started doing this in about, uh, I don't know, maybe 2014, I think I started doing this. Um, is that once a week or once a uh, day? No, every day. Every day, right every day a period where you can just breathe because yeah as a leader you amalgamate and accumulate so, so much information you know every every call every session every meeting you're you're accumulating information and if you're not allowing that information to, to sink in um to hit the places it needs to hit uh and and also as well just to filter out some of the information because you hear a lot of white noise as well and i was talking earlier about the, the, the qualitative conversations versus the quantitative conversations you hear a lot of stuff and if you're hearing a lot of stuff not backed up by the data, what is it you're listening to? You're listening yeah. to, to hope, but not reality. So you need time to sieve out uh, this information. Um, and that's where the great ideas come from. You know, uh, sure, we all have those moments out on a, a dog walk or a stroll or in the, in the middle of the night or in the gym, wherever it is, and that idea pops up. You know, I've yeah. got to write that down. I've got to WhatsApp that to myself. Uh, you know, yeah. I need to record the information. So I still get into the gym every day at midday, you know, every single day without fail. Unless I'm on meetings in London, I'm in the gym. And, you know, my, my, my yogic training taught me how to breathe. Um, and, and, and that's the key thing each day. It's taking those deep breaths. That's how we slow down. That's how we connect with self. Um, so when I'm in the gym, I'm continuously, you know, do, doing my breath work. I do my breath work when I wake up every single morning as well so i'm allowing time to you know really connect with who i am how i'm feeling and that helps me make decisions based upon the things that i'm hearing and seeing each day so what's the routine then go through like the, without the individual detail of what you like the, from waking up through to finishing so you mm -hmm. don't tra it's not a training morning for you it's uh it's not a, you don't go to the gym in the morning, you go at lunch. No, it's, a mid, it's, a, it's a midday train. It's a midday right. train. I, I love the morning to um, to connect at home and, and be a dad and a husband and and, and wake up. And like I say, to, to wake up calm. I think, you know, those days, you know, you picture, you still see it in the films and TV programs as well, where someone wakes up and they're barely out of the shower and they're biting a bit of toast and they're running out the door and they're shouting goodbye to everyone. It's just, whoa. 
it's, you're starting your day in chaos and so many of us did that for so many years and you know I, I look back sadly upon all those times where my kids were barely awake and you know I'd go and give them a kiss goodbye and I'd run out of the house before they've even got up to sit there and have their cornflakes for daddy and all those things there so my, my morning routine is, is is very much about you know having breakfast help the kids get ready you know make the kids lunches with my wife and prepare for the day and whilst I'm doing that don't get me wrong of course my head is ticking over and I'm planning and I, I know what my first meeting is and what I should be thinking about that and what mm. that next meeting is so the brain is getting in check but it's doing it in a less chaotic way you know I drop the kids to school um, I go to my place I do my morning of calls typically have four or five calls in the morning scheduled through whether it's team scrums or, or individual catch-ups and then I've got my time at lunchtime to, to go to the gym, decompress, think about what's gone on, think about any actions that I might need to, to take and make, but just have a little bit of time away from the screens, you know, massively try and avoid being one of those gym gym goers that carries the phone around the gym with them, you know, leave yeah. the phone in the bag and just and just be there, you know, come home for some lunch and then the rest of my afternoon is done at home. So, um, you know, that's where my next windows, of course. I like, your, I like your routine. I think I'm I'm kind of working on mine because I, I, I went through a period of training at lunch and then I went for a period of probably being, I think I went so heavy into our sales process so that I was actually then people were just trying to chip into that time and I was guilty of saying, well, yeah, if it's another client, then I'll do it. And, and so I started training in the morning and getting there for six o'clock and making so that there was no way I could lose that time in the gym. Um, but then I lost the time with the family as much like you, like you said, like this morning I got up, uh, I was in the gym at half six. I was home by quarter past seven. My wife doesn't get up till half seven. The kids don't leave because we were right next to the school. So they don't leave till half eight. So I had a bit, I did still got some time with them and I'd got my gym done. And now at lunch, I'm not thinking about it, but do you ever have that where like, things can happen in the morning that would stop you going to the gym? Or are you like, no, it's not, it's not getting in the way. Nah, <laughs> it's, um, I, 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 I've been in this routine. I still train it today throughout the organization and people that have been with sort for a number of years, know my time management training session very well. And I've been consistent with it since the get go. Um, for me that, you know, that nine till 12, two till five, it's the PST, the peak selling yeah. time, if you like, it's those two periods of the day. They're the two periods that you prep and plan for in the morning. doesn't matter whether you're a recruiter with one year's experience or you're a leader with 20 years experience, right? They're the periods where the world is actionable. Yeah, there's time zone borders and all the rest of it, but basically the majority of what you do is within those periods. So if you are rigid and routine within those periods, that's six hours in a day where you've got solid, solid activity. And I believe that many more hours over that for a human, you're going to start to burn out anyway. And, you know, mm. running an international business, as you know, you and I, of course, we're going to have to do calls with APAC at seven in the morning sometimes. Or, you know, I'm going to speak to James in, in the US at seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, whatever it may be. You're going to have the odd times where you have to do these things. But generally, if you're setting the agenda of those times and you let everyone else know that that's the times you're available that's what you do and that's when you do it don't let people eat into your time because your self-care time is as important as your meeting time like what why is a coffee meet with a, a new client or a new candidate more important than you taking some downtime it's not you know yeah. if you don't take that downtime you can't be your best version and i want to be my best version on every it, 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 what happens is it eats you up in a different way and it affects you like later on doesn't it like you'll skip it 
you'll you'll do that call and then you'll be a bit of an ass with your family later like you'll be a bit moody at dinner or something i've noticed that like translates in a or it comes out as a different symptom in a different at a different time and i'm like that's because i let myself be taking like i let someone else take over my time and i do have 12 till i have the same as you i have like not 8 30 till 12 2 till 12 till 2 is is in the blocked out the diary don't book in but people still try uh-huh. um and then i have the um till about six so i have two till six but again by the time the kids get back at our four five it's not till six anymore because there's you know my wife might cook by quarter past five and that's the bit that sometimes i feel guilty to to the business i don't know if you've ever felt that because I used to be in on till seven when I was single or when I was, yeah. you know, when I, I, think, was look, I think we all go through those periods and I think we all kid ourselves that, you know, chaining ourselves to a desk, we're going to be more effective, right? But actually, if you think about a game of chess, you know, in a game of chess, you'll think for minutes before you make a move. And in fact, you've already played out that game in your head before you've even played that game because you've seen that move, you've seen that, um, you know, combination of pieces before. So in chess, it's not the amount of times that you move that you're you're getting paid for, you're winning for, it's making that right move. And that's yeah. what we have to do as leaders. We have to make that right move. It might take you an hour to make the right decision, but you're better off spending the hour to make the right decision than making five decisions in an hour that actually are, are going to mess your business up. You know, I remember in my early days of when we were first globalizing the business, I remember going on trips to to Sydney and um, you know I would literally map out my week Monday to Friday and I'd have my first meeting at 7.30 in the morning and my last one would be at 6.30 at night and I remember I remember one day flying from Sydney to Melbourne getting like the uh, the plane at like five in the morning and um, I was meeting with this digital program manager and it must have been about five o'clock in the evening I was so tired I was looking at him just thinking I want to sleep on your lap but that's appropriate <laughs> So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay awake and I'm going to get through this. And it was just like, how effective was I? I was blurring through half my meetings. It just wasn't effective. So I I rescinded that back. And I just said, when people are with me, they want the me that they're going to get something out of. They want the me that's going to be full of energy, full of ideas, full of buoyancy. Whether that's three minutes of my time or 30 minutes of my time, it's got to be effective. So I don't feel, you know, you should never feel guilty as a leader as to working around the life that you have. Because if you're not having that life to fulfill you spiritually, then you're not going to be your best person for the people that you're leading. No, what's the point? Like, what, what are you working so hard for? Yeah, I do get it. I'll have like, I'll be sat I, I eating tea at five. What well, we call it tea again now. I live back up north. Mm. But I, at quarter past five. And I'll be like, because my business partner's got no kids. He'll be still working. The team are probably still working. So I'm like, am I letting them down? And then, then I have to say to myself, no, because I'll jump back on later anyway. I'll do something later if I need it. Um, I'm in a really interesting phase now where, because the baby's coming, I've said to myself, I'm getting out of the sales process. Like, I have to. I'm, I'm, I'm too... It's not going to grow anymore. It's not going to move. I'm, the business won't move forward if I'm still on six, seven sales calls a day. It just won't work. Even though I'd love to, I love it. I enjoy it, and I'm good at it. It's not sustainable. So I'm back at that point where, well, I'm at that point where I think a lot of recruitment owners find themselves. Which again, I think you were, you would have left that point a long time ago. You're very strategic. You've always invested in talent around you. But I think if we can, a bit of advice for people that might be more like me right now that are still kind of the rainmaker in their own business 
any have you got any words of wisdom or any thoughts around how you can confidently take yourself to a level of running a business, not being the main source of income for that business and panicking in the last week of the month to do deals and things like that? Yeah, look, I mean, that's that, that's the classic, um, you know, going right back to the billing manager syndrome, isn't it? And we all say to our billing managers, you know, what you're doing there is, is the hardest job. You know, you've got to sustain a desk and bill, you know, 250, 300 grand yourself in the UK. Uh, and you've got to start building and, and, and nurturing a team around you as well. That is that tough period. But then, yeah, when you get to that level where you've got 8, 10, 12 people there and you can truly focus on 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 people development and management the job does get a bit easier again you know it becomes more strategic more you know customer centric customer focused dealing with larger clients and then nurturing and training your people which hopefully if you're doing doing that job you love um there's, there's many different ways you can look at it I, I know some leaders that race to the top because they don't love the selling you know and they don't necessarily even love the people development side of things they just they want to build an empire they, they want to run it but actually they don't like some of those more hands-on aspects of the job yeah i can only speak from my personal experience and i still love all the hands-on aspects of the job i still love putting my you know talent acquisition uh, hat on especially when we go into a new location i want to speak to and meet the people that we're going to hire i want to see those first boots yeah. on the ground i'm constantly networking with future leaders of the business anyway you know, I very quickly, as I mentioned earlier, adapt my time from looking at acquisitions to looking at customer acquisition. So I think, you know, some of us do move away from those things. Some of us integrate that into what we do. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a rule for that. I've, I've interviewed a few people recently and they've said to me, I'm very people focused, but I haven't done the commercial part for two or three years. And it's like, you haven't had to because the market's been so busy the work's been landing on your lap and i and i think there's a real danger for those people and i've said this to them as well you know you're losing those commercial tools it's going to make you less employable to some people because you know especially in a market like this you have to have those commercial skills yeah. you know if you're only doing half the job that's a real risk as a recruiter right now so I would say to all leaders, whether you're running five people, 10 people, 50 people, 500 people, is you've got to stay rounded. You've got to stay connected with your people. You hear and read about great leaders gone by um, that, you know, found an incredible business and they still work, walk the factory floors. They still go and connect with every level of the organization. Yeah. So they understand all those processes and what's going on. And I feel you have to be. So I think, you know, you do as you feel best for your leadership styles. But I think the more rounded leaders we can be the more value we can add to our people. I think it's just putting the building blocks and the strategy in place to 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 to, to find some elevation because it can be so tempting to just stay in that commercial for for the billing manager for the recruitment owner of ten staff for me because our business is such a we've got forty people but thirty five of them 30, 37 of them are, are back are like are delivering the products and then there's only three of us at the front that that bring them bring the clients on. You know, it's really tempting to stay in that comfortable zone of, of making money than trying to develop others, trying to step up, trying to do, you know, do both things. Um, I'm def I've got a challenge now. I've got an exciting challenge. Yeah, but flipping it, you know, that might that might be what you that might be your your forte. You might get someone to come in and do and, and do the other bits. I've heard of, you know, other great businesses over the years where you know, the, the founder, the CEO of that business is still the breadwinner. 
of that business and they've hired in very good operational people around them as well so yeah there's definitely no one size fits all with it and I think we have to stay with what we love doing you know yeah. we have to love those aspects of the role we have to yeah if we let go of the things that we love doing within the business then we're going to lose some passion for what we're doing there that's true that's true Elliot we've run out of time but I could I could carry this on for a long time I, pre I appreciate you taking the time for the third time i reckon we're going to have an episode four at some point um i hope you do achieve the things you, you're looking to achieve i've got no doubt you're going to continue on this growth journey i asked you this last time i'll ask you again if anyone is listening who likes your approach and just wants to pick your brains whether it be to do with a business whether it be to do with your personal stuff because i know you do a lot in the mindfulness space um, and you know, you give sound advice. Are you open to people reaching out on LinkedIn via? via yeah, the and they did last time as well, Sean. So uh, you know, thanks for the plug. But um, you know, yeah, always happy to to connect with people to reach out. I'm, you know, I'm very active online, as you know. Um, you know, it's always great meeting new people, speaking to new people. So you know, wh wh where the time and synergy is there, I'm always happy to connect. Legend. We'll get you back on again soon. Appreciate it. Nice one, Sean. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.